0: Of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions thank you for joining us in this episode of the fundraising talent podcast here's your host author fundraiser and master trainer jason lewis
1: hi podcast listeners my name is jason lewis and i am your host for the fundraising talent podcast before i introduce today's guest i do want to thank our sponsor QBAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps a fundraiser perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical task, developing deep, meaningful relationships with donors and cultivating them into lifelong givers. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insights into the hearts, minds, and connections of their donors. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Podcast listeners, the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow is finally back on the schedule. We have several dates confirmed. Since 2014, our team has been providing high-quality one-day roadshows in partnership with nonprofit leaders who want to showcase their space and provide thought-provoking and highly interactive fundraising training in their nonprofit community. Our roadshows have been described by our guests as hands-down the best professional development experience that they have ever been a part of. This experience has been described as challenging assumptions with conversation-inspiring content and new ways of thinking. If you would like to register for one of the upcoming stops on the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, just visit the link in the show notes. Hi, John. I am delighted to have you this morning on the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I am on the front end of my day. I've got my, uh, I think I'm drinking uh, my second cup of coffee. And I am warmed up. I have been uh, a fan of yours, a reader of yours for several years. Um, I think I've cited you. I know I've se- you've seen me cite you on uh, LinkedIn and other social media places. And, um, and you've seen me uh, and, and a lot of my guests here, on our listeners here on the podcast have heard me talk about your work. So I'm delighted that you're here with me this morning. Um, but John, before I ke- keep rambling and we start talking about your book, how about I just ask you to introduce yourself?
2: Uh lovely to be here thank you for having me jason uh so i'm john alexander i wrote a book called citizens why the key to fixing everything is all of us uh with a very ambitious title and a very very ambitious kind of guy um <laughs> but i am i'm in the uk right now so it's uh middle of my day uh getting 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 through things pretty well uh and and about to set off on a big world tour crazily enough next week with the book so uh so yeah looking at the world feeling uh Feeling slightly daunted, and 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 things aren't all going in the right direction, as we all know. But um, but but pretty excited about some of the stuff I'm working on, and 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 the change that might be possible.
1: Yeah, John. So uh, I, as I shared with you before, I hit the record button. I've been following your work. Uh, before we dive officially into the book, which for our listeners, uh, we're going to dive really deep into some of the primary themes in John's new book, which I have been. Uh, uh, reading and over reading and sourcing and stuff. Um, but can you just tell us a little bit about sort of the journey of the New Citizens Project and sort of how this came about, um, and, and sort of where what got you everything pre the book. Sort of bring us all the way to the book, and then we'll uh, then we'll dive into your book.
2: I'm going to get that back into the mists of time. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean the the story, I guess, really begins when I. I kind of stumbled into the advertising industry back in around 2003 uh and 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 I I went into that industry really kind of off the back, uh, essentially of, of watching the, the watching the, the speeches and the talks that were given off the, after the World Trade Center came down, essentially, uh, and 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 the the line that was given to us was that like the, the the way to defend our way of life is to go shopping, you know. And 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 I I stumbled into that industry really wanting to make my contribution, like feeling like I was going to do good work in the world. Uh, and and my first boss uh, described my job to me by saying, "What you've got to remember is the average consumer sees something like three thousand commercial messages a day." And your job is to cut through that you 've got to make yours the best and i and for a while, I was kind of happy with the first uh, the first part of that the 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 kind of the make yours the best the compete the 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 win through and then I began to think about that three thousand a day thing um and and really that was when the i went I went through the looking glass down the rabbit hole whatever you want to call it and started to go like what are we doing to ourselves when when that's the story we surround ourselves with, when when we live in this kind of, when we swim in the water of what I've come over time to call the consumer story, um, when and and and, and I think like the 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 limits that that places on on what we think we're capable of, what we imagine to be one another's motivations are so deep and And I went through a pretty dark time working in advertising uh, as i as I went deeper into this and then and then sort of stumbled out um in around 2010, twenty ten twenty twenty eleven and and started to try and find other more constructive questions to work with and and eventually sort of came around to this notion of what would it look like to bring the same creativity and passion and 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 possibility to bear on Involving people, inviting people into their agency as citizens, rather than just selling them stuff as consumers. And at that point,
1: go on. Yeah, John, I, I've been I've been eager to ask you. You know, there's a couple of other voices in the United Kingdom that seemingly are sort of going on this same. Jen, are you familiar with the the late uh, Robert Phillips and his talk about PR? um th- you know i read that a couple of years ago the name of his book pr you know trust me pr is dead and he was sort of asking some of these citizenship questions and then i think the pirate guy the guy who talks about being more pirate i mean are are, are we all are we all is is there just sort of a a cohort of folks over in the united kingdom that are sort of better at asking some of these questions right now that maybe some of us americans just aren't there yet
2: I mean, I think there's certainly a cohort in the UK, and and Sam, the 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 pirate guy, as you call him, is a, is definitely among them, uh, as right. was as was as was Robert, wonderful guy. But I think it's happening everywhere, you know. Uh, yeah. And in the states, there's definitely a cohort. I mean, look at Eric Liu um, and Citizen University and and the work mm-hmm. he's doing with that. Look at and and the concept of Civic Saturdays that's sort of spreading all over the place. Uh, look at Baratunde Baratunde Thurston and the the How to Citizen podcast that's massive. Uh, uh i mean and those are just thinking really directly with the with the word with the with the exact word but if i look more broadly you know that the movements that are growing the 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 ideas that are building out of places like oakland california with uh with zach norris and and the restore oakland uh community and and, and group there working on restorative justice and and i could look to yeah, I'm trying to think. Pretty much the joy of this work really is that once you start to see this story, once you start to see through this lens of people as citizens, not just as consumers, it it's kind of feels like you're peeling back the surface of, of the world and seeing this whole rich, joyful thing underneath that surface that, that you sort of never knew was there. And really that's that's the greatest joy in my work is 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 helping people just just peel back that surface and look look beneath what they thought was there and go oh my god like so much is possible in this time
1: yeah so john i was i was talking about this this notion of going from citizen from consumer to citizen with a colleague of mine in canada recently and she just couldn't own the she expressed some hesitancy um around the word citizen she couldn't own it and I felt like, uh, I felt like she couldn't see it. and so we had some dialogue and I think at the end of the conversation and I shared the, uh, the framework, you know the three columns that you've got um, that I think are fantastic that sort of frame up what it means to be a citizen, what it means to be a consumer and a subject. Um, but uh, you know you make this distinction in your book, the difference between citizenship, which I think is particularly helpful, the idea of sort of citizenship as a status, Versus citizenship as a practice, the idea of a noun versus a versus a verb, and and as I've been sort of wrestling with this idea in some of my own work, I have found that it's the being a citizen in more of an active role, and 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 it's not a commodity that you can buy, right? Because you even sort of make that uh, you even make some references to that idea that that a lot of times we see citizens citizenship sort of comes with this we can sort of earn it buy it. And then it entitles us to things, and I don't get the impression that's really what you're talking about. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, like my my
2: key point in this space is language is such a vital thing, and words are so powerful. And 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 actually, if we give up on some of the most important words, if we allow them to be co opted and controlled by those who would reduce people to to consumers, who would reduce us to, to to people who can only choose between options that are set out for them, then I think we're 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 giving up some of the most important tools that we have in the in in the in the work to create a better world, right? So so that the the word citizen literally means together people. Like it comes from comes from the Latin and, and 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 so it means a kind of it has embedded in it a kind of interdependence and a and a need to work together to do meaningful work. It's been co opted and reduced I think actually, by the concept of the consumer story, by by the consumerizer consumerization of everything, to be something you can buy, to be reduced to just a passport, just a legal status, and if we allow the this this rich, deep idea of what it means to be human, uh, to be a collaborator, to be a to be a to be a co creator, to be reduced to a binary distinction between citizen or non citizen. I think we're giving up something incredibly important in this moment in time. And so, so yeah, so I, 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 my, my response is essentially I, I get you like I, and, I, and I hear you. And I, and I am really conscious of being, of having a degree of privilege in this conversation, right? But, but I still think, but I do think, and, I, and this is one of the reasons I celebrate people like Baratunde and, and Eric who are, who are doing this work as well and say, we need this language. We can't give it up.
1: Yeah, I I think the other thing, one of the things you talk about, and a lot of my listeners are going to be familiar with Edgar Villanueva's book, Decolonizing Wealth. You know that a lot of our folks in the nonprofit sector, certainly here in the U.S. and probably on a growing level around the world, um, are reading Edgar's book. And you talk about this relationship about in this section where you're talking about interdependence and reciprocity and sort of eliminating this us versus them. Uh, Conversation, you know, one of the things I've thought about, John, as it relates to, you know, something that's a very familiar concept to um, to my fundraising colleagues are these. We write these bill of rights, right? These 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 entitlements, if you will, and and it create. It seemed to me these these rights that we write for ourselves tend to put us on the other side of these rights that we have against our, with our donors, our employers, or those sorts of things. And it puts us on two different sides of the table. It creates this us versus them dynamic. And so when I'm reading your book, I'm like, yeah, we have to learn how to be on the same side of the table with our donors, with our uh, fellow, uh, you know, with other organizations, so forth. Um, You know, this isn't my rights versus yours. These are rights and responsibilities that we share together. Am I right? Absolutely. And I I like...
2: One of the concepts in, in I guess, your world, the kind of philanthropy fundraising world, that I think is so damaging in this moment in time is, is this is this incredibly popular concept of effective altruism, right? Like this, and and I've been talking actually with Edgar uh, and others. I met Edgar. In fact, we both collaborated with the same brilliant woman, a woman called Ariana Conrad, uh, who, who your listeners should check out. She's uh, she's got quite a track record in in the writing of our books. Both Edgar and I were supported by her. Um, but but this this idea of effective altruism, I think, is really useful to to zone in on. As, as uh, I think, it's kind of the apotheosis of a consumer approach to, to 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 making making change in the world. Because what it says really is that is that we, it, it, as you say, it keeps an us and them in place. That the the root of the word altruism being being other, right? i mean so it separates the the donor and the recipient, and and and, and perpetuates that, that separation in doing so it what it doesn't what it can never address really is where the power lies because the power is is retained in the in the donor and not not really just not sort of shared back out not 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 equalized and so and that in that dynamic is something deeply deeply troubling and deeply dangerous and and i i'm i mean really in my critique of this of this whole thing i just come back to the 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 famous thought experiment that Peter Singer had that sits at the heart of effective altruism this thing about the child in the pond and like you shouldn't leave them there you should you should get the child out of the pond and just going well that that it was Desmond Tutu i think he first first made this kind of comment where he said like there has to come a point where we ask why the child is in the pond in the first place and we go upstream and figure out why we're there and we, and we and and we look at concepts of power not just concepts of 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 immediate material means and so i think that um and a lot of that is rooted in this this idea of the distinction between a consumer approach which says i can i can purchase change that i should look for the return on investment is the as the responsible rational thing to do and instead says like how am i how do i actually invest in this situation how do i how do i step in and absorb myself into this situation how do i how do i come alongside those who i previously perceived as other and 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 root into the context not just kind of assume i can step outside and step above and know what to do to the to the little people on the receiving end and i think the the real big thing here is i think there's such a huge kind of creative generative opportunity in 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 this for the for the whole of the of the whole of the fundraising sector the whole of the philanthropy sector actually to kind of go okay how do we really kind of sink into this moment step alongside and 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 work together with people rather than st- staying aloof and outside and kind of throwing like removing the child from the pond and then asking no follow-up questions as to why they seem to end up back in there pretty quickly.
1: You know, John, it, uh, I love that you jumped to the effective altruism conversation because I'm looking at my notes here for today's con- I'm, One of the things when I read your book because I haven't, I've been reading about effective altruism and, and Singer's book and stuff for a couple of years, and I don't know that I have sort of figured out what my unsettledness was. But when I read what you were talking about, what you write here in the book uh, about the, the, because you're talking about the metrics, you know, you really drive us home towards the metrics. And then you also point out that that when we focus so much on the metrics, we also eliminate our possibility to sort of make sense of the trauma and the exploitation and all the complexity that sort of comes with human relationships and human tragedy which is oftentimes what we're trying which is all of what we're trying to do for the most part in the nonprofit sector but you know i remember as a kid and i suspect you guys had this over there in the uk as well i can't imagine it well but you know it it, it Reading your book, it sort of reminded me of sort of we have t- with effective altruism and other sort of metric focused systems, we've sort of turned some of our philanthropic endeavors into sort of this consumer reports, right? This idea that you can sort of be organized and, 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 and we can sort of quantify your legitimacy and, and how much your cause sort of warrants and therefore. And it's and it's it's right there at the core, the core of it. It's like what you were talking about a few moments ago. Um, we don't see it, and 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 so if if, you, if you're sort of swimming in it, if you're swimming in this consumer story, if you're reading something that seems just so natural, like our like the Consumer Reports magazine that my parents subscribed to when I was a kid, um, we just sort of miss it. It just feels natural to put a you know to put four stars, five stars, and a very quantitative number next to. A nonprofit's organization and say that they're warranting, you know, that they warrant my support more than someone else. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I, I think it stems back. I was
2: talking to um, the lot, the lovely Brian Eno, who, who, uh, who, uh wrote the foreword for the for the book and is a is a really deep thinker and has been for a very long time. Um, the other day, one of, one of Brian's things is that he can he he's great at neologisms, like coming up with new words all the time, and. And he was say, he his latest one, he was talking to me about the, the concept of automaticism. Uh, and for Brian, this is the idea that we can somehow like code ourselves to, and, and, and remove human agency from the loop. If we, if we, if we define uh, enough kind of judgment characteristics, then we don't need any, any human agency. It doesn't character ceases to matter. The, the world will, will end up uh the way the way the best possible world and I like that actually comes right back to this to what I think is at the core of what I call the consumer story which is this idea that actually like we we can design the world such that self-interest will add up to collective interest
0: mm-hmm.
2: and guess, that's right. that's really the root of it um the, the the consumer story is I think of these things almost the kind of as kind of moral stories in the sense of like a, a way that the that we should live <laughs> And the consumer story says, like, pursue self-interest, like, look out for number one, look out for the best return on your investment, choose the option that works best for you. And if everyone does that, then the best society will result. The, the, you mentioned the, the the three stories I work with. So the consumer story says that the subject story says, says, do as you're told, keep your head down. Don't don't sort of don't rise above your station. The God given few who know best will lead us to the best outcomes for society. And within those two stories, th- those are the two stories that most people can see in this moment in time, particularly those in positions of power. And within those two stories, it does, it, as you say, it seems to make sense that the best thing we could possibly do could do would be to put kind of ratings on stuff because the consumer story is better than the subject story. We don't want to go back to that. But but what I'm talking about and what I'm trying to sort of what I'm trying to make visible. And accessible by writing the book is that I think there's a whole other story. What I call the citizen story is about saying, actually, the the strategy that will lead to the best outcomes for society as a whole is to is, is to tap into the ideas and energy and resources of everyone to 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 find ways to harness all of our agency in the world. But it's a sort of it, one of the ways I've put it recently is like we need everyone on the pitch, right? Like we need all of the creativity and energy and inspiration that comes from all of us. And we don't have to, in order to do that, the role we need to step into is much more one of kind of facilitating and convening and bringing together rather than one of, um, ranking and, and, and judging. Like there's so much, there's so much richness to be tapped into. Uh, and and we kill all of that by just working from within that, that, that idea of choice and ranking.
1: John, are you familiar with the work of, uh, uh, early to mid 20th century, uh, Economic anthropologist Carl Polanyi. Are you familiar with Carl Polanyi's Carl work? It's a name
2: I know, but not okay. it will not it, work. I know enough that tell it, me. It, Educate me.
1: Yes, yes, fine. We'll, well this is totally off the this is off of my of my schedule too, but or my lineup too. But um but I you're something so Polanyi talks about what what 's called these double movements and these double movements are the idea of how society sort of swings from sort of letting this uh, sort of letting the, the the marketplace sort of dominate sort of we 're letting the consumer story sort of dominate, and then this corrective swing where we rely on the government. To um, to sort of fix all of the things that the that the marketplace does wrong, so it's you know it's kind of putting um, one of the things I teach my stu- you know we talk about it with my students over at the college, the idea that you know the marketplace is going to let you down, and, and 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 Polanyi is sort of making the case in his argument that that we have to rely on the government to to sort of step in and sort of save us from the marketplace, and so there's this sort of this swing um, between the two. And uh, and I heard another lecturer recently reference and I'm, I'm connecting her thinking with yours, John, because in some cases it's the it's the swing between the subject. It's like what you just pointed out. It's the swing between the consumer story. And I even see that here in our sector where because our donors are behaving so consistently with the consumer story, the inclination is to regulate and to, you know, to To be very coercive and to change laws, to rely on the government to sort of fix everything that's wrong with philanthropy. And I'm thinking, no, maybe there is an alternative. Maybe there's a different story that we're more, that we're less familiar with. And this would not be that, you know, Polanyi doesn't talk a whole lot about the, this. This would be like a triple movement, if you will, because I think that's kind of what you're getting at, that we're so centered on Either the marketplace has to save us and has to define our story or the government and the laws have to sort of save us. And I think what you're the argument that you're making and others are making is, is no, maybe these two big major, you know, storytellers are going to ultimately let us down. <laughs> right. And 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 we've got to sort of take the citizen power um, and step up and uh, and maybe not be so big, big, you know, big reliant relying on big brother, if you will. Am I right?
2: I think so, and I think
1: uh, one of the ways I think about it is that
2: it's not that the state or the market are it, neither are kind of fundamentally problematic. It's what right. we become, what we become when we when we when as you say we sort of let them decide when we, yeah. when, we when we abrogate our agency to either one of them. Yeah. So when we abrogate our agency to government, we become subjects. When we abrogate our agency to the market, we become consumers when we reclaim our agency we can orient ourselves in in both the market and the and the uh, and in relation to government as as citizens so just to give a couple of examples like make that a little bit more real like in relation to the market i think uh, trends like and phenomena like platform cooperativism where actually you know pl- platform businesses like the airbnbs and ubers of this world are coming under increasing competition from from what, from platforms that are owned by the participants in them uh and and that's that i think is a really fascinating trend well uh, even and it's sometimes on a really local level which is fascinating like ride austin in in austin texas uh is a competitor to uber that's owned by the drivers or or in relation to to government what i'm the sorts of things i'm really interested in is when when government sees itself as a like much more much more authentically and as a as a sort of participatory entity rather than as one that that steps up stands above and decides for so i could talk about taiwan and the way that that the taiwanese got through covid with the most successful program in the world with a with a set of principles they described as fast fun and fair and basically involved kind of crowdsourcing the whole government program in a way that that increased trust kept the death rate low, never went into lockdown, like these things. And this just hasn't been talked about. Or I could talk about, and still in government, the the fact that the city of Paris in France, the capital city of France, a major economy, now has a standing citizens assembly, 100 randomly selected Parisians represented to the city population, that that effectively is like an upper house, like the Senate in, in the U.S., uh hold the hold the elected council to account the, and, and and can commission random groups randomly selected representative groups of citizens to inquire into key issues now these are these are phenomena these 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 sort of shifting patterns new ways of doing things that are that are that don't fit with a that don't sort of they can't be rejected as like, or you're just being, you're just like being anti-capitalist or whatever. Or, or they're 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 actually transcending those those two things and going no, like we can. The work we need to do is to orient in relation to both those big institutions in a different way. We need to to the to the thing to the to the sort of enoism of automaticism. Like we need to get rid of that and go no, like we shape the world. We do with every action we take and, and we aren't limited just to, just to sort of, we're not programmed to pursue self-interest. That's nonsense. Neither were we programmed just to do as we're told. We have, we
1: have agency. Yeah. You've got to pick up. you got to, uh, Polanyi wrote a book called the great transformation. You've got to familiarize yourself with it because I think you'll just, just in the sort of, as you were sort of commenting there, um, uh, we, we, we just, just sort of, we've, we've, overbed our hands on both of those and we and we've done that in, in it's almost like the two party systems that we rely on here in the u s for example we like the simplicity and the binary of two two systems but and we're trying to avoid sort of the messy complexity um, i want i I want to go back to something that uh, I, I want to stay in the uh, citizen story for a moment before I, I I've got a couple of more thoughts about the consumer story but i want to I want to point out this because I don't know that I had ever thought about this until I read your book this way, and, and and some of this may have come from Robert Phillips' book as well. But this idea of perhaps that we have c- commodified trust—that we think we can buy it—that sort of the marketplace has sort of convinced. Maybe this is the PR, PR. You know, you're a PR and marketing guy, so maybe you can help me understand this. But we have every year a lot of my colleagues sort of ta- have a have a. There's sort of a phase in the year. You know, there's a month where we talk about the you know, how the level to which nonprofit organizations trust their or the donors trust us, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know, after reading some of what you have to say, of this idea of believing in people, you know, you talk about the idea that it's sort of it's a, it's a granted and sort of a given rather than something we have to buy and earn. And I think that's a that's a scary, that's a scary, honestly, that's a scary proposal for someone who's used to uh, for somebody who is in the consumer story, who says, you're going to have to earn that from me, or I'm going to have to buy that from you, but then to sort of have to sort of make it a granted thing, like I'm going to trust John, John's going to trust me as fellow citizens. Um, but I think that's where you're challenging us to go. Am I right?
2: I'm really glad you went in here. Yeah, I, the, the way I would describe the central dynamic, really, of our times is that you know how everyone talks and i think you're hinting at this everyone talks about how people don't trust institutions yes right right levels of trust in institutions are dropping and and what i don't think we talk about enough is that that is part of a that is one one driver one sort of um one part of what well what's actually a vicious circle a vicious cycle <laughs> sorry excuse me um so, yeah, what I don't think people talk about enough is that is that the idea that people don't trust institutions is actually only one part of a vicious cycle. The other part is that institutions don't trust people mm-hmm. right and 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 what we see when in if we think of if we sort of consider that cycle is that when people start to lose trust in institutions which essentially is pretty understandable like the 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 structures of our society aren't just aren't like. In uncontestably, really aren't really aren't facing the challenges of our times, and so as and so people lo- understand. Uh, sorry, I'm gabbling. Uh, let me
1: like rephrase this. <laughs> I do it okay. too. I do it all the time. Most of my listeners are. Pre- we don't do a lot of editing. This is what we do here. So uh
2: okay. <laughs> the, the, let me. So central dynamics, my friends. Central dynamic is that is that we talk about people not trusting institutions. I think we need to understand that it's also true and probably the most important intervention point, I would argue the most important intervention point, that institutions don't trust people. If we consider that dynamic, what we see is that people are losing trust in institutions for completely understandable reasons. The the institutions in which we're supposed to put our trust are not facing into the challenges of our times. We have pervasive inequality. we We have loneliness and mental ill health. We have uh, we have a climate and ecological emergency, and the institutions clearly aren't up to that. And as people lose trust in those institutions, they start to behave with anger and frustration. And the respon- the result of that, understandably to an extent, again, but, but really problematically, is that institutions start to see people as dangerous, start to lose faith in humanity and as a result what what institutions then tend to do is pull power into themselves whether that's government or a big philanthropy or whatever they they pull power into themselves and and the result of that is that people feel the people feel even more frustrated and lose more trust in institutions and then institu- and start to behave more angrily and weirdly institutions pull more power into themselves and we get into that dynamic and i think different parts of the world were at different parts of that cycle but the kind of the only real way to break that is is institutions like people inside institutions taking a leap of faith in in people, and that that's really hard to do. It's, and that involves sort of pushing power out, not 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 sort of hugging the teddy bear of, of 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 despair and 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 despairing about humanity, but trying to sort of alleviate the damage by putting putting the money in the most effective place we can. It, it involves. Actually putting faith and power back into the hands of, of, well, out into the hands of people in a way that's, that's never really been done. My, the place where this insight first really hit me was was when I was interviewing, I mentioned the Taiwanese government and, and their COVID program. I was interviewing the the Taiwanese digital minister. Uh, and I was talking about like they did all sorts of crazy things they even set up a phone line where any citizen could ring in with ideas for how the country's response could be better and there's a story about a six-year-old boy ringing up and and saying the kids in my class don't want to wear their face masks they're pink and they think they're girly so you need to right. do something to make pink face masks cool and you should work with the baseball team and three days later they had half the Taiwanese baseball team the little boy and the president all on the national press conference in their pink face masks right so, and and I said to I said to Audrey, um, people of Taiwan must really trust the government for you to be able to do this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the response was fascinating. The, the response was, we don't want people to trust government. We want people to hold government to account. What we want and what I'm devoting my working life to is government trusting people.
1: Yeah, that's profound. Yeah.
2: And that, for me, is the heart of this, like, If when institutions and it's government, but it's also philanthropy, as it's it's museums and cultural institutions, it's it's all of these things actually sort of challenge themselves to start from this idea that that people are by nature creative, collaborative, caring creatures. This is my definition of citizen: people who people want to shape the world for the better. If the if we create the conditions for them to do so, the more agency we withhold from people the more angry and frustrated they get the more agency we give to people the more power we build the more responsibility they take we take and we and 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 like the language is again back to what we were talking about earlier hilarious here right like when we talk about people as they you're like well who who are we then um and and you start to get there when
1: you when you when you think in these ways So, John, let's take a a sort of a very, for the last 15 minutes, let's sort of take a very practical turn in this, because you have a a lot of my colleagues who are listening to this are are really asking some questions, especially here in the States, when I think about sort of the conversations happening around fundraising and philanthropy. And they're trying to make sense of what is commonly referred to as sort of this disappearing donor, the idea that the the charitable donor is sort of vacating. And we're seeing these trends in Canada, we're seeing them in the UK, the donor is sort of um, they're vacating the traditional what 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 you and I might would call sort of this consumer very transactional type relationship and 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 i felt like when i was reading your book you gave a an entirely different diagnosis to what the to the what the problem is you know you've got this sta- statement in here it says people are dissatisfied with being mere consumers yearning for deeper agency even though we lack the words to express it and i think i even cited that quote on on linkedin recently and some of my uh, some of my followers grabbed onto it But John, we have these three trends that we're picking up on and that we're talking about in particular since the pandemic, but this idea of what is commonly referred to as direct giving and giving circles and mutual aid. And when you look at these three sort of phenomena, they're actually sort of taking the agency out of the hand of the organization. And they're putting it back in the hand of the community of the citizen of the donor. And it's sort of ruffle. And it's more than ruffling the feathers of my colleagues who've sort of seen themselves as sort of these professionals of raising philanthropic support. And their donors are saying, we're still going to give, we're just not going to give through your channel and your channel. And, and I think when I read through your book, I'm, I, I think what I'm just simply hearing is I'm hearing a donor who says, I don't want to I don't want to be a consumer donor, a donor, a donor is consumer. I want to be a donor as a citizen. You follow what I'm saying? A hundred percent. Yeah. I think,
2: I mean, I think what's going on is people want to, people want to be in relationship with the work. Right. And yes. I think, and I think that's the, I would argue for, for these kind of professionals and this isn't a sector I know hugely well. So I'm really keen to kind of learn from you and maybe, maybe kind of bounce into this conversation a little bit. But I think, I think if I apply some of the work we've done in other areas, I think what's what my hypothesis would be that the the role that these sorts of professionals need to move into is what, much more one of a kind of facilitator of relationship mm-hmm. rather than a kind of rancor of purchases.
1: Yes, right. It's, a,
2: it's like you're not you're not a marketplace broker anymore. You need to be a relationship builder and a and a, and a and a relationship opener. And I think. In that work, I think we have these. Um, the third part of the book, as you know, is, is structured around what, what I offer as the as the three principles of participatory organisations. But I think they apply in many different ways. And we talk about we talk about purpose, platform, and prototype. Uh, and so, and and the first one, purpose, is really about what what are you really trying to do in the world. And and the, the the add-on that we put is like, what are you trying to do in the world that's so big that you need other people to to do it with you, need other people to get involved in it? And I think asking that question on both sides, like what what are the donors, what are the donors' passions? What are they what do they really mm-hmm. care about? What what world do they want to create? What what's their what are they trying to do? What do they believe in? And what organizations, with the organizations that might be the recipients, what are they really trying to do in the world and how does that match up? And then, and then the platform one is about like, how do they, how do they meaningfully contribute? Because it might be that their agency is so much more than, than a, than a cash transfer. They, particularly if there's an alignment of purposes, there is a, there's, there's contributions of connections and, and, and potentially roles that they can play and, and wisdom that they can provide, but also let, critically, the 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 thing goes the other way too like the the there might be learn that that person the donor is not the only source of power they can learn they can understand they can fight they can discover something about themselves in that in that kind of relationship as well it becomes genuinely kind of two way rather than just being one of like the the power stays here but the money comes out uh which is which is the dynamic of the consumer uh philanthropy i think and then and then the third the third principle prototype is really about just going like we don't know i think it's a really cool one of the whole idea of the citizen story we don't know exactly how this thing's going to work because it is different and so that the the confidence but also the humility to be able to experiment and try and work in new ways and develop different things is is critical in this because we you can't just flip a kind of utopian switch and and transfer the whole thing
1: overnight john as i was thinking about yeah, sort of, if you sort of imagine so a lot of my colleagues we show up for fundraising conferences and i'm i'm sort of imagining you and i facilitating a uh, a, a direct response workshop or something and and i 'm thinking about in very practical terms, the idea of sitting in front of a room full of a hundred fundraisers and telling them and, and, and using your book as sort of the as a guiding light and i 'm thinking about the idea of having to encourage my colleagues to remove menus and the hero story from their appeals because those are two, those are two things that you tackle head, you know, straight on and you say they're woven into this consumer story, but they're also two things that so many of my colleagues have their, it's almost like their professional identities are sort of wrapped up in in basically affording the donor both these menu of options and the privilege of sort of being the hero. And those are two. I mean and I I can tell you, John, there's there's people who are listening to this podcast that don't that, that that it just sort of would wrangle their minds to think about the idea of um writing an appeal that doesn't make the donor feel like a hero, that they're not sort of saving the planet and and that they're not given this menu of I said this to a client recently. I said, Stop giving your donors these menus. Just sort of compel them to sort of stand with you in solidarity, right? I mean, um, I, I think about what transpired, you know, back when the uh, when the, the the tragic, you know, the situation that we've got in the Ukraine, and I think about the way that people were just trying to find ways to basically stand in solidarity with with our friends in the Ukraine. They they used Airbnb and any means that they could to get money. It had nothing to do with having a menu of options to check a buy. and, up. and nobody was using you know metrics. Just wanted to stand in solidarity with them you follow my thinking yeah and
2: maybe why i'd add
1: on to that is like still building on that ukraine situation
2: that the the it wasn't just money right it was people were sharing information and 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 uh, zelensky actually went on and gave a speech for, uh early in the early in the war early in the invasion where he said help me get accurate information to the russian people like anything you can do i don't know how you're going to do it but help me and and people started using tripadvisor and google reviews and stuff like this to post accurate information onto restaurant review sites in in st petersburg and moscow like there was an intense like and that's just one example of so much but there was a, this intense level of creativity that was tapped into by um by Zelensky framing that question and and framing that need and i think that there's a clue in that right like the 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 opportunity for these kind of fundraisers, these these brokers, to 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 work with their their with their clients to say like, what do, what do we really want to do in the world? And the, and the key to this, I think, um, coming back to why these sort of conventional methods of menus and the hero the hero um the hero complex the hero story is is failing, is I think that um, it's just not credible anymore. Like people don't believe it.
1: Uh, yeah, John, I got to hold you. I had a I had a guest, a woman from Canada say that same thing to me. Uh, I don't know it 9 months ago, we were having a very similar conversation, sort of deconstructing contemporary fundraising practices and it caught me when she said the exact I I I, I could have forecasted you were going to say that. People just don't believe it. They just fundamentally have been essentially feel like they've been lied to so many times, disappointed. I mean, that's what um you know, when we talk about consumerism, for example, I have read a number of these authors who've read, you know, written very heavy critiques and sometimes way over my head about why consumerism sort of lets us down. Shit, John, we just don't believe it anymore. It's just yeah. a lie. It just comes across as a lie. So whether it ends up in our mailbox or whether we're buying something off the shelves at Walmart or Target, we just, we sort of, we sort of instinctively sort of as even as we reach for it and take it home, we know it's going to disappoint us. Right. And and this is like the, the
2: denial, the attempt to pretend that the complexity of the world and the scale of these challenges isn't there is just can't hold anymore. And The way I really like to think about this and maybe one of the most powerful kind of conceptual frames that I've I've ever come across and and that I dug up in the research for the book is this is a concept uh, that that, um, originally comes from family therapy and a guy called Barry Mason. And uh, completely unheard of, like pretty small name, but I think it's really profound. And what Mason uh, talked about was was the idea of what he called safe uncertainty. And so he he draws a two-by-two matrix, uh, and he says, like, anyone who comes for therapy is in in one of two mental states. They're either unsafe, uncertain, "Ah, I don't know what to do, Mm -hmm. or unsafe, certain, I'm bad and I know I am. And what they think they want, he says, is safe certainty. Tell me what to do to fix it. Like, give me the answer, the solution, the pill, the whatever. Right, right. And he says that the the critical thing to understand is that safe certainty doesn't exist. And the the pursuit, the only safe certainty is death, right? Like, or death and taxes, maybe, if you want to go all Franklin on this. But like, the the pursuit of safe certainty is one that will just end up imposing kind of falsity upon falsity. The only real situation that we can really create that's really nourishing is safe uncertainty, where you go, we're going to figure this out we're going to we're going to stand together we're going to the the ther- the role of the therapist is going to be to hold the space and make sure that you're you feel supported and then we're going to figure out what to do next and where to go from here we're going to we're going to find a way together yeah and i think that that analogy then goes so far beyond the world of therapy right like it's it's what i would argue it's what our governments and leaders need to be doing it, we we need leaders in this moment in time who are going to say like like the Taiwanese government did like we don't know how to get through covid but we do know that we'll get through it better if we involve the ideas and energy and resources of everyone we ne- we need that on climate we need that on on inequality we need we need some admission that there isn't a kind of off the shelf answer to these challenges but but that we but uh, but the safety to say we'll get through it if we do it together and 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 that also then plays down plays through everything in between and i think is a role that 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 fundraisers and consultants and so forth can step into to go look i'm gonna you care about you care about climate and like honestly we don't know how to fix that like no no one's 100 percent on it what we can do is go like let's figure out what your particular kind of motivations what your what your role can do and whether you and and what what home is for you? What the level of your kind of intervention wants to be? Does it want to be really local? Does it want to be really global? There's no kind of, there's no set answer, but there is a, there is an exploration and a matchup of the, of the, of the individual and the power that's there and, and the organizations and the, and the, and the participants that can come alongside that to, to build something really powerful. I think, I think, what flows from that and uh, one of the one of the other sort of ideas i I got really excited about in the research of the book is this is this idea that change making the big changes in the world isn't achieved by finding the kind of logical most effective intervention point and piling everything in there it's much more about what um what one of my men what the, a mentor of mine or gall uh calls social acupuncture it's much more about like where is the energy and how do you release it so that so that this kind of this this building and burgeoning kind of new story of who we might be or this idea of people as citizens can kind of flood through rather than be kind of choked off
1: you know your 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 last thought your thought there reminds me of uh, so i recently read margaret heffernan's book she was a guest of mine on the podcast i don't know a year ago and she talks about how we sort of a lot of us still want to exist in the in the 19th and, and 20th century sort of complicated way of seeing the world in a very linear as if the you know the economy and everything else is a is a complicated machine and 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 as i was reading your book and others i'm i'm thinking you know this citizen story much more aligns with what heffernan would talk about the idea that that we're living in a very complex pluralist i mean just the the messy complexity that we have the entangled world that we live in with the hyperconnectivity with the fascinating technology that enables us to do this if we don't make sense of these this changing context and 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 it's almost like therapy for me. I'm I'm thinking through some personal matters. That the idea, uh, like you just said, the, the idea for, uh, to, st- to make that state the safe, safe uncertainty. Is that, that that yeah, that that's absolutely brilliant. I'm going to have to look that up because that's in a complex in a context where you're dealing with a very complex and messy world. I think that's where we're trying. When I think about d- with our donor relationships, I think that's oftentimes what we're so afraid of. Is the um we need to be able to walk into these relationships with a certain level of uh, you know assurance of safety, but not certainty. And I think that's what we're you know the government has an you know when we're in the subject story and the consumer story, it's so easily betting on the certainty of the outcomes. Um, I, I'm I suppose I suppose the the citizen has to get used to the we don't have certain outcomes. Yeah. No. I right. think that's right it's, yeah. um
2: and it, and it comes back to this dynamic of trust, right because if you in this and, and this idea of agency versus automaticism, like yeah. if the world is is complicated but ultimately linear and figure outable, then all you have to do is find the the right intervention point and and you can you can sort of bet the farm on that. If the world is messy and complex and and there's there's actually far more agency involved because there are all number of interventions that are going to add up to and contribute to 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 this to a different frame to building something different but there's no guarantees there's there's and and so I think that um yeah that that thing of i I really love it it's like what i'm trying to create in almost any conversation i'm having now is the sense of like look, we, we, we need to start by acknowledging that we don't know.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Yes.
2: And, and, and honestly, the kind of the sense that you get of people's shoulders kind of dropping when you say that is so powerful because people are like, Oh my God, like (laughs) truth, man. Like it's, it's such a relief to to go like this isn't someone who's going to pitch me the, 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 like, they think they have the answer to everything. No. Like, no one can do that. What we can do is acknowledge and, and own the kind of the times that we're living in and say like, we need everyone on the pitch for this. We need every kind of wisdom. We need, we need, we need the indigenous wisdom. We need the white guys. We need, we need the, we need the, we need the, we need the deep understanding that comes from kind of diving into natural sciences and understanding how how like how mitochondria and, 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 and mycelia work, but we also need the kind of the the, the science and the, the 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 modern science of the kind of the and, and, and the Newtonian physics, and all, we need all of this stuff. Yeah. And and to say it's one thing and try and give me a singular ranking. I mean, all of this comes back to this. I just keep obsessing with this effective altruism thing in any of these kinds of conversations at the moment. It's just like, ah, oh, that the idea, the very idea that you can know. What the most effective thing to do is, is itself just like taking the, the approach that we've, that
1: we know is breaking us to, to another level. John, we lose our listeners at about 45, 50 minutes in. So we're going to wrap this up. I, I am could absolutely convinced you and I could keep each other going. It sounds like we're great readers. Um, I want to remind my listeners that uh, John's book is Citizens, Why the Key to Fixing Everything is All of Us. Um, John, one of the things uh, just as a courtesy, where do you want people to go pick that up? Because oftentimes uh, I, I send people to the wrong place. So if they're interested in grabbing <laughs> and, and the link that I'm supposed to put in the show notes and so forth, where would you like people to go grab that copy of your book? book?
2: I mean, the, the 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 best place of all is to go straight to my publisher, Uh You can find it there. But you know what, like, I just want to get
1: these ideas out in the world. So wherever works for you, my friend. <laughs> okay. All right, just the courtesy I like to offer. John, it has certainly been a pleasure. And I love I look forward to keeping the conversation going. You're always welcome back. Thank you, my friend. I look forward to it.
0: Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read in this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The War for Fundraising Talent challenges our ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers.